Welcome or welcome back to The Bicultural Identity, a podcast created from the experiences unique to young Asians raised in a Western society. We're your hosts, Connie and Jenny. Our weekly episodes contain conversations around social issues, pop culture topics, and nostalgic childhood memories that are significant in our lives as second-gen Canadians. Before we get started, we did finally manage to publish our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a few other podcasting platforms. That was podcast in a lot of sentences, uh, <laughs> or in one sentence. Anyway, um, to everyone who's already listened on these platforms, we thank you a lot for the support, and we will be reading reviews as they come in in the future. So please leave us a review, and we'll get a shout out. <laughs> and without further ado, Connie will introduce us to the topic as usual. The topic this week is going to make me relive a lot of embarrassing memories that I'd rather forget. It's true. <laughs> More so me than Jenny. And if you know me well at all, I think you'll know where this is going. So I think we'll perfectly use this chance for us to finally solidify our personalities through this podcast because fangirling is a really good way to go. <laughs> Wait, I just realized I forgot to introduce actual topics. So spoiler. yes, yes, the title itself was probably a spoiler anyways, but this week we will be talking about our whole fangirling experience, our history, and what we've learned from it. Mm -hmm. So Connie and I are very different as sisters. Um, Connie, what kind of person slash fangirl are you? I am quite literally an emotional mess, and I'm very expressive about my emotions. I am what a Pisces actually is. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> what, are you against astrology, Jenny? I think it's great. <laughs> it's fun to read. I don't actually believe in that stuff. It's just like a good descriptor of my personality, in my opinion. If you do, though, all, all uh, power to you. I actually don't mind it. <laughs> a lot of people get really pissed off by that. This is off topic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jenny, what, what about you? What's your personality like? So, I'm the complete opposite of Connie. Um, I don't feel many extreme emotions. Like my friend Sunny, shout out, said, I have lower ups and downs with my emotions. So a lot of times when we were involved in fandoms together, Connie would be like the overpowering voice of like passion Oops. and excitement. And then I'd just be like, oh yeah, that was cool or something. So that's so funny because I think if you already listened to a few episodes of our podcast, you probably would have already noticed that Jenny's like the monotonous voice that just like... Oh, sorry. Monotonous. <laughs> I can't speak clearly. Um, and I'm the like... Cackling who, laughter. Yeah, I laugh too much. <laughs> As example. Um, okay, so I think today is going to be a very, very casual discussion. Connie and I literally have no template. Mm -hmm. And we were we'll just, just 15 minutes into recording and we had to backtrack because we had no template. <laughs> It went real off topic. So the only thing we do have structured out is an introduction of our common path down um, the first, like the beginnings of our standing careers. Should I give a quick rundown? We can do the groups, who introduced who. Okay. Timeline, like age and whatever. Okay, I'd say start of high school or middle of high school. I think I discovered One Direction first, but it's pretty much the same time um, when I was on Tumblr and they were just everywhere. Yeah, you couldn't like avoid their GIF, GIF sets whatever yeah. you call it. And Harry Styles was just very recognizable with his curly brunette hair. Yep. <laughs> Next was, uh, well, I think Connie thinks of Five Seconds of Summer as part of the phase. Yes. Um, for me, it was more like they were like the same as One Direction. <laughs> oh my God. But that's pretty bad on me. But that was also like the same time as One Direction, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then 
Oh, and then I uh, might have made you fall into the black hole that is K-pop. So I introduced her to EXO. Yeah, that was through, I think, Connie's friend just like forced things on her. (laughs) And then Connie then forced the content on me too. And following that was like a very, very dark hole of like, K-boo, borderline K-boo. We were not like K-boo, K-boo, but um, borderline K-boo obsession with like standing different groups and finding biases in all those groups until finally I found like a lot of good BTS content, even Mm -hmm. though we'd already know they existed. Mm -hmm. And I like forced the content on Connie and she like very easily came along on this journey. I mean, who can resist like standing BTS? I think as long as you watch a few videos, you're like done for, but... That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> Only those of taste. <laughs> yeah. um, for expectation setting, we're not talking about BTS today. Definitely not. It's going to be a long two-episode series that will divide up Jenny's point of view of her like standing experience for BTS and then my experience. I think it'll be a really accurate reflection of our different personalities, like we said before. <laughs> but the main topic today... We really want to analyze our lessons learned as ex-fangirls because I don't think we're in that phase any longer. No, I think ever since I started working in university, I still was pretty, um, I was still standing pretty hard. (laughs) But I think ever since I started working, just like surrounding yourself with a professional environment, there's like less of a chance to, you know, like sneak on your phone in the middle of a lecture or something like that to look at updates of your favorite celebrities. And so... You kind of just mature up and like still support the the content that they release, but less so follow their every move. Yeah, <laughs> that so creepy. um, we're going to kind of try and contrast our time with One Direction and Five Seconds of Summer versus our time with like the different K-pop groups and see how that affected like our teen and young adult like coming of age bicultural experience because there was like a very different environment between the two entertainment industries. Hmm. Did you want to start off with a topic specifically, Connie? Yeah, I want to talk about how um, through my first fangirl experience with One Direction, when I look back on it, I realize how much inner misogyny was in me. (laughs) I think at the age of like 14, 15, I was one of those immature fangirls that would not like my celebrity crushes dating other girls or like if they were the younger portion of the fandom would often like jump on that opportunity to express our distaste for their girlfriends which was really really like I'm really ashamed when I think back on that also it really makes you realize when you're a young girl how you can be taught in a way to hate on other girls for no reason. It definitely has a lasting effect because even today, um, after like becoming the feminists we are, uh, <laughs> there's like a very visible connection between when I see the news on like certain cases on like in the entertainment industry, and the first thing you think of is like, oh, I wish the girl had been more careful. And you're like, hold up. Why? Like, in 0.5 seconds, you're like, why does my brain think that? Mm -hmm. Why is it her job to be careful when it's like a greater problem at stake here? I actually think a really good example of that doesn't even come from the K-pop industry, but it comes from the J-pop industry. Okay. Do you remember when, and I think we're only conscious of this because we entered the K-pop industry, but do you remember when the two girls from AKB48 or that huge girl group had to apologize oh, for being sexually assaulted? Yes. She had to like get on her knees or bow or something in front of her assaulter at a, a concert or something. It was seen as like bad imagery to um, call out this toxic behavior because it made you seem 
impure, I guess, and ungrateful for the support you're being offered. An even tamer example of like misogyny in the Asian entertainment industry, now that I think about it, is like when Baekhyun and Taehyun were in a dating scandal together when they were dating. Mm-hmm. An EXO member and a Girls Generation yes. member. So this was during our EXO phase. The brunt of the hate all went to Taehyun. Like she got death threats every day. Mm-hmm. And Baekhyun honestly didn't get even like a third of the hate she did. Yep. So these things continue to exist. Do you have any like... Um, specific thoughts about what you've managed to learn from this misogyny in the two industries? I guess they exist in both. They definitely exist in both. I think it's a common thing where girls kind of learn to be pitted against one another. I think sometimes it's out of jealousy. And if you think about it, old Disney shows, they always have that really evil popular girl in their shows. You know what I'm saying? You don't really have that popular guy that's evil they're always the cool like male protagonist and so you learn to be jealous of girls like that somehow and then there's also the layer of slut shaming too where if a girl gets more guys they're worthy to be hated on and that they're a slut which is terrible before this gets into our (sighs) feminist episode oh yeah you're right we will now move on (laughs) because um we could talk about this for three hours five hours five episodes Mm -hmm. so this leads into a topic i want to bring up about fangirling in general and this episode is perfect to bring this up because um, I think fangirls just get such a bad rep. And what we're talking about here on what like is perpetuated by the entertainment industry and how it reflects girls is re- really similar to how I think that the sports industry perpetuates very toxic masculinity. And in turn, fangirls are seen as so much more shameful than sports fans. Exactly. I like to compare what Jenny brought up to how the news broadcasts girls camping out to get in the front of like the floor section for a BTS concert and contrasting that with like Raptors Jurassic Park yeah which is the NBA um, Toronto Raptors team and there's like a giant stadium that like broadcasts a huge screen so if you don't go in the stadium you can still watch outside yeah so the news always glorifies that they're like oh what dedicated sports fans they are and then for girls it's just that they're mindless and crazy This is something that we've experienced in both, like in every fandom we've been in. We're hardcore fans who like always go to concerts and stuff are kind of looked down on by everyone else in the fandom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would get accused of like wasting your parents' money, being spoiled and And obsessive. Yeah, obsessive. Exactly. Most people tend to write off how much of a positive experience fangirling can be for someone when fangirls are portrayed as mindless and dumb. It's the farthest from the truth. Because I've been like an avid fangirl for so long, I've made so many online friends or just made friends with people around me who are also fans of the groups I was a fan of. They are some of the most intelligent people I know. They really take the positivity from a fangirl experience and apply it to their own life and actually like use it to motivate themselves to like strive for their careers and dreams. So that's our PSA on fangirls. Yeah, so don't judge them. (laughs) Back to the topic of uh, (laughs) comparing our experiences. My next point that I wanted to bring up was how uh, experiencing Five Seconds of Summer, One Direction, and then the K-pop industry after really contributed to Connie and I's open-mindedness because we really weren't in touch with our roots um, until that point in high school, which was literally in like grade 11, grade 12. The last two years and it was then that we really got exposed to multicultural entertainment around the world like my spotify playlist 
has flourished. We mentioned this in previous episodes before, but the elementary schools we went to and the middle schools were very white, so we had mostly Caucasian friends. In our high school, there was much more of a diverse population. That was where I formed my Asian group and got into K-pop, but Jenny still had mostly white friends in high school. Yeah, I think a large reason was because I was really, really passionate about student government back then. So I was running for like all sorts of things like student um, student council co-president and everything. So mm-hmm. then when you talk to the majority of the school, you kind of have to like conform yourself to safe topics to talk about in like North America. That's true. But because of like the growth that I experienced now, like it's so I can't imagine living a life where music was restricted by language. This is sort of going to BTS territory, but I just wanted to say that like what Jenny just said um, is often brought up by BTS's leader, RM. He often says that what they love to see is that their music transcends languages. And that is a beautiful thing, in my opinion, because why restrict yourself to just a language that you understand when you can also explore the trends of other places around the world and listen to how beautiful their languages can be and there's translations out there that can help you understand that kind of music too. Can you tell Connie's a BTS stan? She's <laughs> I just mentioned her, the one She's so quoting far. her members. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I think at the end of the day, it's what really promoted my hobby of like if you go on my Instagram, my blogs, my YouTube channels, I don't know, anywhere. I'm constantly promoting international content. Um, And that was kind of like, and it's something I was passionate in because I had never seen international movies, international TV shows Mm -hmm. until I started first with international music. And there's so many voices that were just not heard in my life until then. Jenny actually pushed that real hard onto me too. I remember she started showing me German music. Um, really good Swedish music. Swedish music, that's what it is. Even though they like speak English, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jenny also suggested the whole international recommendation section at the end of our podcast. I bombard people with recommendations because I can't stand when people like don't want to read captions or something. But um, like, well, let me just try to wrap up this idea because yeah. we'll like move to the next one. Um, overall, I think that There's just so much embarrassment that comes in with consuming international content, which I think is a big prejudice that people have and K-pop has helped us get out of. Because even now, like my manager at work recommended me Latino music and she had to go ahead and be like, oh, but it's not in English. And she felt kind of like cautious of it. Oh yeah, people are super defensive when Mm -hmm. they recommend you something from a different language or a different country. Yeah, and she's Latino. And I was like, oh, none of my music is really in English. Like there's like a few maybe. So it was a good commonality. And I think, you know, having stand two different cultures and multiple after that, Mm -hmm. we've become less prejudiced or like not prejudiced at all to international entertainment. We welcome any sort of recommendations from you guys. (laughs) Yeah. So, Connie, what do you have next to share for your fangirling career? I think what Jenny just talked about also kind of relates to what I want to bring up. The fact that there's shame in consuming international content, but specifically, I want to bring it back to when I was in my school days and K-pop was seen as something tacky and kind of embarrassing to talk about. And I remember me even thinking that back then. I judge people who like K-pop and I think, oh my god, these boys look super girly and wear makeup. Why would I like them? It's something that has luckily decreased over time. Definitely. We've actually become really supportive of people who bend gender norms. I think it was really cool to see androgynous 
stars in Asian entertainment industries. Mm-hmm. Like K-pop has a few very notable ones, but it's interesting because only androgyny still only comes in the form of girl groups. Yeah, it's always somehow okay for girls to look more like guys or be more tomboy, but then boys aren't allowed to be girly just because. That just stems from sexism. I find that like it's shameful to be a girl or something.、Mm-hmm. It's interesting how with、uh, Asian entertainment industry, like how if One Direction was on stage, they would try to have very natural makeup on, like we talked about in our beauty norms episode. But then with the K-pop industry, they have like literally eyeliner and like pale, pale foundation on, but they still, but the rest of the audience still has to get a sense of masculinity from them, or else. A weird balance. I've actually found that it opened up many avenues in my head on how a, a man can be attractive to me. Like I'll like manly mans, and I also like those K-pop boys who look more girly, as people say. Even though I don't see that at all, I don't know why men think that the only way to be manly is to like not care about their skincare routine or something,、mm-hmm. <laughs> or like basic hygiene. You can kind of see as. The fashion industries and everything is influenced by Asian entertainment industries. Like you know how black culture and black fashion, and it influenced a lot of American fashion, but it also influenced basically like all of K-pop.、Mm-hmm. Then all of K-pop came and influenced America again, and now you have so many like men on YouTube doing skincare routines, fashion videos, and like people. It's cool here now、yeah. for you guys. All you straight men out there, it's now cool for you to dress up and like do yourself up and do nice hair and everything. And I think a lot of that is from external influences around the world. It definitely is. And if you think about it, K-pop is way more widely accepted worldwide now, so you can see the link there. Another point I want to bring up is how different the K-pop industry is to the American pop industry. And how in the West we think that everything's so manufactured in K-pop, whereas they just like are in denial of how manufactured American pop is too.、Mm-hmm. If you think about One Direction, they were literally like birthed by Simon Cowell on the X Factor, but they had to pretend they were like chaps and just chilling and having a blast and doing casual interviews between their cool friend things, you know, like they were making music.、Mm-hmm. And the K-pop industry is so much more transparent about, hey, we literally take these children, beat them down, and then carve them into perfect celebrities, which is what happens to most bands out there. Sorry to break it to you all. If you think about it, One Direction was literally forced together. I'm sure there's like some disagreements they have sometimes. I think Zayn can talk to that. Yeah, I'm sure they don't all get. <laughs> Did I Wait, go there? Let's not trigger fans right now. <laughs> But obviously, they aren't as close as they like their image. Portrays them to be,、mm-hmm. and it's. I think the pressure of portraying that naturalness has destroyed a lot of child stars、um, in the Western industry, right? But then in the K-pop industry, everyone knows how manufactured they are, and everyone knows that they're on the job twenty-four-seven.、Mm-hmm. So there's, I would say, like there is that image of or that expectation that they have to be perfect and pure as an idol. But at the same time, when an idol gets like burned out. Or gets like really, really tired. People are generally more understanding. My my leading example of that is when Justin Bieber went on tour for two years straight. I don't like Justin Bieber, by the way, but I will defend him on this. When he went on tour for two years straight, and then he walked off stage one night, everyone was so mad at him. But I can't imagine not going home for two years. It sounds super tiring as well. Like he definitely burnt out. 
it might be just me, but I also find that friendships established in K-pop groups are actually more believable than boy groups out in the West because I know in my head that they train together for a long period of time. And although that's like a competitive experience, I also think that like certain people must have leaned on each other more. Mm -hmm. And I think another positive aspect of the so-called manufactured industry is that it highlights how hard these idols work to make their dreams come true and how seriously they take their jobs. Because if you think about it, Korea is a country that is highly known for how hard the people work. Just look at how fast they picked themselves up after the world war. It really appeals to the Asian audience and I think that's why they really took over Asia with their entertainment industry because China has the exact same with their multiple revolutions, you know, against like uh, different governments. So like they fought a ton of wars within themselves and against other countries. Japan has like the everlasting, this is not a joke by the way, but Japan really does have that everlasting culture of like samurai mm -hmm. culture. And then Vietnam also obviously also went through the craziness of literally going across the country in tiny boats and surviving. Yeah. So like we got some hardcore countries here and I haven't even started on like Southeast Asia as a whole, you mm -hmm. know, wild, wild, tough people. Like everyone's like metal there. I also think that that makes the life of idols so much more tiring than celebrities out in the West because Western celebrities, if they have a scandal and screw up here and there, people will forget it within a few days. It's like no a known fact that they'll be more wild here. But in Korea, it's so much more like strict on what you do. And even if you're caught making the smallest mistake, sometimes it'll just destroy your whole career. This trickles into my next point. Do you have anything else you wanted to bring up for this one? No, I think I'm all good. You okay. Can, you can continue, Jenny. Yeah, so, um, like, the really, like, the big difference between the amount of work that goes into it publicly contributes to a lot of, like, interesting balance that I found between the groups I stand in um, the Western society versus the groups I stand in Asia. I find that with Western culture, there's a huge, huge emphasis around paparazzi. So, even though, uh, the celebrities here have a looser schedule, you know? Like for example, One Direction only had to do a ton of interviews when their new album came out. Um, and then the rest of the time they were off, I don't know, recording music somewhere else. They were still constantly, constantly being stalked by these paparazzi. But on the other side, the K-pop idols are on the job 24 seven. That's another whole issue there. But because they sleep together, eat together, work together, do everything together, there's less room for paparazzi and constant invasion by the press because they do so much official press work if that makes sense there's only one notable like news source called dispatch that is actually the paparazzi but i think oftentimes they get paid off by companies not to release things <laughs> no but it's also like because here the paparazzi are literally in your face being like oh Gigi, yeah tell us how you're doing or like oh justin hit me with your car you know and then in k-pop it's like the worst stalkers you get are like the really crazy fans, but everyone has oh, those. Oh, yeah. Everyone has those. Yeah, I guess the Western stars get the added burden of being followed by paparazzi and their crazy fans. I That actually leads into a point I only just thought of, but I kind of like how the K-pop industry publicly shames really, really stalkery fans because when i was in the one direction industry and maybe i didn't industry fandom i was in the one direction industry um but when i was in the one direction fandom and i don't know if connie sees something different as further involved in the fandom <laughs> as she is but i don't think one direction was ever truly exposed for having 
really, really absurdly stalkery fans. The thing is, they kind of glorify it here. They're like, oh, what's the craziest fan experience you've ever had? And someone will be like, oh, a a fan asked me to sign their right breast. <laughs> like yeah, but that's the type of stuff that will happen like, here in the West. In the in like the K-pop industry, they will share truly, truly disgusting, like gory things that fans do. And I am confident that One Direction received the same things, For sure. but it was kept under wraps. And I like how it's like so publicly shamed to be a terrible person, you know, in the mm-hmm. fandom in in K-pop. I agree. It establishes a more healthy and trusting fan for context, and celebrity relationship. For context, there's literally fans that will like feed their celebrities glue and they almost die. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of crazy things that get revealed by the press in Korea when that happens to a particular celebrity. And you cannot convince us that that does not also happen to the Western celebrities here. Can I segue again? Yeah, go ahead. Actually, on the topic of like actual fan activity i do have a question for you connie mm-hmm. and this relates directly to your involvement with the run direction social media and the exo social media and we won't go into bts yet but from your experience with dealing with the fandoms has there been any like very drastic differences between the two fandoms actually like i'm sorry but i can't really find any differences for you just because i deleted twitter between my whole one direction phase and my bts phase so like my exo phase was mostly off social media i can try and hypothesize the differences because um there's like a very obvious to anyone who's ever been online there's a very obvious extreme that fandoms represent on the internet Um, most recently they have been positive extremes i think extremities for the black lives matter movement but in the past they have been known for very terrible things and I will say that in all the fandoms I've seen online, there always are like fans that continue to reflect these bad images. But one thing we did manage to filter out in the EXO fandom is a little bit more of the racists out there. Even though some of them might have been more like, you know, just solely Korean biased and then racist towards like everyone else. But there was still like a small pathway because Connie can probably explain this story when I just say like a few words. But remember when EXO won an award over One Direction? Yes, I was still in the One Direction fandom at that time. And basically, so many racial slurs were thrown towards EXO. They were called uh, C-H-I-N-K-S when they weren't even Chinese. It's like a double, double slam. But that's like besides the point. It was just super racist. And it kind of pushed me out of the fandom a bit. I can see why that would be a huge reason why you would just delete Twitter. Yeah, I literally deleted Twitter pretty soon after that. I was kind of sick of the toxicity. When I ended up falling in love with EXO, I kind of felt better about it just because I was on, I felt like I was on the right side of things and I was supporting like my people, even though I'm Chinese and not Korean, but like still like supporting the Asian community, you know? Mm -hmm. There is definitely more of like a, they appeal more to your, inner motivational aspects being like alone in a more um like in a wider society here mm-hmm. and this is something i can bring up i find that this kind of like is related to the western society critiquing k-pop industry other than the whole it's manufactured argument it's often said that k-pop idols aren't talented or they can't sing properly but i think people tend to forget 
how hard it is to sing and dance at the same time. And one of the reasons I actually got into K-pop is because each member is so talented in its own in in their own way. It's <laughs> my bad. In its own way. <laughs> my bad. They are people, not objects. <laughs> oh, important disclaimer. I just got a whole other can of worms opened up. But yeah, I think um I noticed how talented EXO's vocal line was when I first got into them, and then I just questioned why people thought K-pop groups are untalented. <laughs> You've just reminded me. I don't know why I keep defending Justin Bieber in this episode because <laughs> I don't like him whatsoever. But I just like based on what we know from K-pop now, the most re- similar case practice I can think of. My business language is coming up. Is when Justin Bieber was ten and built up by Scooter Braun and Usher. Mm-hmm. And back then, I remember he was like our first tour experience. Super oh, first We weren't even experience. fans of him back then either. But we freaking made t-shirts. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think it's like fr- influence from our friends. But when he was like at his peak of child fame, he was singing and dancing and playing the drums. And when I actually think about it, he was like a solo act. And he was... <laughs> Sorry, I'm dying because I forgot he played the drums. Yeah, I remember all this, okay? So... It's because I played the drums too. Um, But he was a solo act and the rest of the industry was like doing their own thing. So it must have been super just like savage because in K-pop, at least everyone is completely depressingly suffering together. You've just reminded me of something. So we did bring up how toxic masculinity prevents people from liking K-pop, but it also prevents people from appreciating boy celebrities and like boy bands as a whole because every boy back in the day would hate on Justin Bieber, they would say things like, oh, Justin Bieber is so gay, which is super offensive to the gay community, by the way. And I'm so glad that that word is hardly used in that context anymore. But basically, they would use that term in hopes that it would make Justin Bieber seem less of a, seem like less of a male. Mm -hmm. Or just like less validated as a whole. Actually, this is, um, an interesting point because I think as K-pop has become more globalized, I feel thankful in so many ways because even though like obviously the Chinese culture is not being fully represented and if anything, the Western society is getting more anti-Chinese right now, (laughs) but um, at least like there's a general openness for Asian culture now. And Mm -hmm. maybe I'm wrong, but being a a cool Gen Z on every Gen Z, millennial I, we're in, we're in the border position. being a yeah. cool 20 year old on tiktok people seem very accepting these days of like most like at least okay a lot more kids in their school elementary school lives seem a lot more accepting over different things like they might not support k-pop but they generally seem more open to the idea of it yeah they won't laugh at you for liking k-pop mm-hmm. i hope but if we're wrong and someone from high school is listening let us know. So I think we just word vomited thoroughly about our lessons as past fangirls. Connie, would you like to try and come up with the overarching ideas here? Like summarize everything? Yeah, we can. you can oh try. If goodness. you can't, I'll back you up. So first of all, we touch upon how fangirls, particularly younger ones who haven't fully experienced the struggles of being a woman yet, can be internally misogynistic and problematic in that way. Then we talked about Actually, I don't know the order anymore, but we also touched upon how toxic masculinity pre- prevented K-pop from being cool back in the day. 
um, we talked about how Americans or Western society in general considered K-pop as a super manufactured industry, but failed to see that their own industry was pretty manufactured as well. Um, what else? You can continue with the other points. I think it was like a general, um, there was a general like overarching theme too of how uh, our experiences in both the Western and Asian entertainment industries have caused us to have a lot less prejudices against literally every piece of art that is produced in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think to go off of that idea, I really advocate for, and it's like a future parenting skill I've adopted myself, where um, if there are like people around you who are younger and they genuinely are very passionate about certain celebrities, it can be very significant to sit them down and ask them like genuinely and wholeheartedly why they like these people because often you can get very very wise takeaways from these children and I wish that people would have talked to us more about it instead of laughing us off because we've grown to like the woke people we are today a largely part like largely part because of the different celebrities we've used as role models while growing up but then on the other side it also can reflect a lot if someone is still standing Sungri from Big Bang oh. Because that is, like, in indicative to me on what kind of person I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. So, like, just don't be so judgmental. Like, I don't judge anyone anymore. Like, when, um, or not, okay, that's a lie. But I think <laughs> there's, like, people are surprised now mm-hmm. in daily conversations by how open I can be about certain topics. And I think it's because I, like, we experience so much as, like, fangirls from like a a prejudiced standpoint right yeah so sometimes people will be like oh i like so-and-so topic mm-hmm. and then they'll immediately like they'll be like oh like um i know it's kind of like meme or like it's kind of embarrassing and then yeah. i'll be like no it's not like tell me more about it yeah i'll why go would you check it out too ever bring down someone for their interest mm-hmm. like that's my that's the worst kind of person when someone expresses their passion for something and you like just make fun of it yeah And that also gets into, like, this thing that really is a pet peeve of mine when I, like, say, oh, I'm a fan of, like, BTS or even back in the day when I'm a fan of EXO, I'm a fan of One Direction. And then people automatically go, like, oh, yeah, they're cute, right? You like them because they're cute, right? When you have been (sighs) through the sheer volume of boy bands that we have been through and picked out a favorite member in each of those boy bands, you come to this weird realization that you're like, oh my gosh, why can't I like the most good-looking member? Yeah, I never like... <laughs> Actually, that's a lie. I think a lot of people think Jungkook's the best-looking in BTS, but I've never liked someone because of their looks. Purely. It's like maybe the one you gravitate towards when you first like watch a music video or whatever, but once you like commit and you're like, I'm going to look more into them, um, somehow I never end up liking the most handsome member. <laughs> doesn't play much of a role so to all those out there worried about being single it's not about your looks yeah just be confident in your personality wow what an uplifting message yes, Jenny. from the from the ex fangirl so it sounds like this has just been an overall very healing experience for connie it's been like a therapy session for her reflecting on her past fangirl experiences do you have any like rewarding things you want to share from from your past. <laughs> I think I'll talk more about it in the BTS episodes, but in general, I think fangirling or like being a fan in general, so I'm inclusive, <laughs> nice. can be a very 
healing experience, like Jenny said. Um, sometimes in your darkest times, you can turn to these groups or individuals and just seek comfort in them. They can act like your best friends or something. And they can sometimes also be used as distractions for when you're feeling down. Also, I found that fangirling allowed me to meet a lot of my really good friends, both presently in my life and also like online. And regardless of that, they were all social interactions and friendships that I value a lot in my life and have taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. So it can be a very educational experience. One last bit I wanted to talk about relating to friends is also when friends share fandoms with each other, it becomes a really interesting thing. And my really brief experience to share with that before we end the episode is that I used to make fun of weebs, even though I was partially a kebu. And I realized <laughs> two years ago that anime makes me cry like a freaking baby. So it slaps. everyone, <laughs> don't be prejudiced when you think you're not prejudiced. Want to end us off? <laughs> Yeah, so before we end properly, we of course can't miss out on the recommendation segment. And this week, I will be recommending something. It is a movie called PK. It's a Bollywood movie. It's about an alien that finds his way on Earth. And he is stranded here and ends up praying to the gods of all the religions in India, trying to get back home. And it's so interesting. I think it was a super controversial movie just because it was a satirical view on all the religions in India. It allowed a look for us because we're not super familiar with Indian culture. Mm -hmm. And it's like once you see the com comedy of it, you realize how influential religion is in India and how much like tension there is between the religions. And in general, um, we aren't religious people. So understanding the value of religion, too, that helped with mm -hmm that as well good recommendation this is in my top like five comedies probably of all time it's so funny but also like made me cry at yeah. points yeah so yeah i highly recommend you check out pk and now i'll just end off the podcast thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed our discussion on this week's topic to hear more you can subscribe to the bicultural identity on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from while you're at it, we would also greatly appreciate any reviews on iTunes or simply sharing our podcast with your family and friends, but of course, no pressure. As well, any opinions and experiences discussed are solely based on our own experiences as second gens, and we invite you to share your thoughts on our blog, thebiculturalidentity.wordpress.com, where you can also find our individual episodes and supporting show notes. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next Monday for our next episode. See you then!